Welcome to School of Everything Else. To the Moon. Sure. I'm Sharon Shaw. And with us is Laura Kate Dale, fresh from our Stranger Things show, who has hobbled on a leg full of damaged ligaments to get here and talk about this game with you tonight. That's how much she cares about To The Moon, and that's how much she cares about you. So be thankful for Laura. It, it's been a heck of a day, but I couldn't turn I couldn't turn down the opportunity to come here and talk about To The Moon, because I... I quite like this game. I know. Just I, a bit. I recall Just a bit. hearing you talk about it before, and I was like, you know, she's our number one choice. Um, now, this was a show commissioned by Emmanuel Matthias, Sean Lyons Burke, and Nick Grugin. Uh, and it's for a game we already played back in 2012, 2013? Um, I think the original game file was from 2013. Okay, 2013. And in fact, Sharon already discussed in an episode of her old podcast, do try this at home. Uh, thanks to the commission, we have replayed it and can finally talk to you all about the story we consider to be downright brilliant. Now, this is a game we really recommend you play first because we, can, we can't really talk about the meat of it without spoilers, but from the sounds of it, you managed to for an hour or so. I'm, I'm pretty sure we did spoil some stuff. I think yeah. what the approach we generally tended to take was we'll spoil like the first act or the first third of, of whatever it was we were okay. talking about but then the the end we didn't okay. I, I think there's a couple of things you can definitively say like those are the spoiler things yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and it has so many little touches and surprises that you guys really want to experience this for yourself firsthand so here's what we're going to do I'm going to read you a brief synopsis I'll play some nice music then after that we will assume everyone still listening has gone away and played the game and then come back or has already played the game, and we will dive right in. On a side note, our patrons can enjoy Sharon's original response to this game as I am republishing the last hour of that episode of Do Try This At Home on the Patreon. And I'd, I would have put it on this very podcast, but I suspect we're going to go over a lot of the same points. So like, either you have that for the first hour or the last hour, and it kind of weakens the show either way. So it's sort of an optional extra rather than an enforced... Absolutely. This is it, mm. yeah. Um, so it's bonus material. For anybody who wants to see if my opinion has changed at all, and, and let me know if it has, because I can't remember. 
And Laura also talked a little bit about this in the past on her show Year of Steam with Lauren Grieve and Ian Hopwood. So I'm going to include that chunk at the beginning so you can listen to both these ladies. So, uh, spoiler-free introduction. This is a top-down, isometric, 16-bit Super Nintendo-looking RPG created with the RPG Maker XP engine. It looks like Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy VI, but it's set sometime around 2050, a near future that's pretty similar to our present day, only with some newfangled tech. Uh, It's definitely close enough that people are still alive who remember the 1990s and Animorphs. Um, Sigmund Corp uses a technology that can create artificial memories. They offer this as a wish-fulfillment service to people on their deathbeds, since these artificial memories conflict with the patient's real memories. The procedure is only legal to perform upon people without much time left to live. Sigmund Corp... Oh, I see that. Sorry, I never got that, but Sigmund Corp... Uh, of course, it should have been Carl. But yeah, hey, I was going to say Carl Corp. <laughs> uh, employs Dr. Eva Rosaline. Is it Rosaline? Rosaline? I don't think it's it never said out loud. No, of course not. So it's all we just, don't know it's all for text-based. certain. Uh, Eva, we're going to call her Eva Rosaline. And uh, Dr. Neil Watts are tasked with fulfilling the lifelong dream of a dying old man named Johnny Wiles. Johnny wants to go to the moon, although he doesn't know why. So go play it, hear some music, we'll be back after that. So first things first, what movies, games, books, and TV do you feel the influence of here? Because we've just done Stranger Things, and I like it mm. when I can feel like that's straight out of that, like that's straight out of Aliens or T2. Because I do that myself all the time. Uh, who is it that said uh, a a poor artist? Steal. A poor artist steals from one source. A good right. artist steals from all the sources they can possibly get their hands on. There you go. More <laughs> um, words to that effect. So yeah, that's uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, actually, that's that person's story, but I'm stealing that. Um, so, but yeah, now this definitely feel. I can feel the touch of various things. Um, I've got a list here myself, but I want to hear what you ladies have to say. So. Well, you've mentioned a couple of the obvious ones. Um, oh, Final, uh, Final Fantasy Final and Fantasy. More yeah. than just Final Fantasy VI. It's, I think you're right about it replicating around that era, but it, it draws on um, imagery and, and um, things that are reminiscent of, of sort of the gamut of Final Fantasy, mm. I think. Um, certainly the, the earlier ones. It reminded me of Final Fantasy VII. There's certain mm. musical cues in yes, there. Yes, which, which do seem deliberately reminiscent yeah. of it. And, and um, possibly because, I, I mean, I think the earlier ones have this anyway, but very early on there's a little parody fight scene. Mm. Oh, yes. Which is very lovely and very Final Fantasy. <laughs> yeah, that's also the, the fighting in Chrono Trigger has a very similar yeah. kind of turn-based, like sort of everyone stop, get into position, 
Because we just saw a squirrel. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> there's, um, there's, a, there's a couple of odd moments that this reminded me of, of something almost like Earthbound. Mm. And uh, um, maybe only because of the fact that it's like a look at childhood through like a 16-bit RPG mechanic set that's not afraid to have a little bit of humour with how it views that mm-hmm. story of childhood. Yep. It also felt, and it only came out in 2011, so mm-hmm. I don't know, like, it may have been knocking around in the creator's head. Uh, by the way, I have huge respect for Ken Gal because uh, he was uh, majorly responsible for, like, he did the story, he composed all the music, he was uh, one of the only four artists in the game, and from the sounds of it, mm-hmm. like, uh, this is, like, really personal. It, so. it does. It does really feel like this game has a very concise, uh, has a very direct idea of what it wants to be, and everything mm. is very cohesive in the sort of way that only really happens when you have a very small or one-person mm. creative team. Like the, the word "auteur" is thrown around a bit, but it feels like this was an auteur project. In that, this feels like the person who made this. This was very much their project. Yeah, there is there is no sense of box ticking of any kind with this mm. game. It's it's um, the events kind of spring from the story, or at least that's the way it seemed to me, rather than the story being dictated mm. by what they wanted to get in mm. the game. But Inception came out uh, in 2010, and there's a definite feel of that in there. So I don't know whether it was knocking around as a sort of an idea, and then Inception just nudged him over the edge, and he was like, right, that's a good way of putting it. Or if he was like, oh, damn it, Inception's come along and taken the idea for messing around in someone's head and changing their memories. Yeah, well, there's, I mean, there's other stuff that's had the idea of implanting um, memories and dreams other than Such as? Um, Total Recall. Yes, mm. of course, yeah. It, yeah, there's a yeah. I, I hadn't put Total Recall on my list, but you're right. It does seem really weird to me thinking that this came after Inception because in my head this feels like it came before Inception. Like Inception feels like it came after this. Yeah, well, because everything about this screams nineties. Mm. Quite, quite possibly, it might just be that this game feels like it's older than it is. Yeah. Um, I, another one I put uh, uh, Memento. Mm. Oh yes, the whole telling I, the story backwards. I was thinking about this literally before we started recording this. I ended up watching um, oh, honest trailers. Their their mm. trailer for Memento and Memento. I was like, is that why Memento is in my head? But yeah, the sort of disjointed way that it jumps back and forth with its story definitely has some similarities. Yeah, and it made it, it made me think of Cloud Atlas as well. The way that tells the story from I mean that's very much sort of different perspectives from different points in time when you have literal incarnations of different people um, but there's also one specific segment where you get what happens through diary entries and it goes forwards and then backwards and it's, mm. it is all sort of all over the place in terms of chronology. Another one it made me think of, and I'm almost certain that this wasn't an influence, it's just something that it made me think of, uh, is a film which no one I know has ever mentioned. Same time next year. Yes. Alan Alder and oh, Alan, Barkin. Alan Barkin um, are a young couple who are married to other people 
who meet and they are strangers and they meet in a, uh, um, a restaurant in a hotel because they're both on business trips and they get chatting to one another and then they spend the night together and they you know they wake up the next morning and they're both like oh my god I can't believe I did this but then they find that they really kind of click together so they meet again every year in the same place at the same time and the film jumps forward five years each time to like different major periods of their life and it starts in the 50s and works its way all the way up to the uh, 80s and they get older and older each time and it's it's so bittersweet to see their lives go by and they're still married to these other people but it's like but you've like you love each other just and like I won't spoil what happens but I will say if you liked To The Moon see same time next year it's lovely and funny and sad and real I've never seen it but you've just sold me on giving it a look <laughs> yeah definitely check it out I, I actually it just occurred to me that you could watch it backwards you could skip back through each chunk rather than forwards Oh God, you could! I could re-edit it like that, and it would it would change the context. Same memento next year. <laughs> anyway, um, also, uh, oh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind as well. The uh, mm. the idea of I mean that one um, the two scientists actually felt more like that than um, uh, Inception. Inception, they're like these international. Um, they're not. Are they criminals? Yeah. Kind of espi- they, like they, it's they, industrial espionage. They feel like super spies. Yeah. yeah, like they have this sort of like very suave on top of it. They know exactly what they're doing and they're executing yeah. very specific plans. Whereas our two scientists here are very sort of schlubs. We'll work it out <laughs> as we go along, and hopefully we're doing the right thing. It's what yeah. we were paid to do. Yeah, that's <laughs> much more Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. The, the, yeah. That's the uh, well, you can get the budget version, which is Eternal Sunshine, or you can get the full package, which nobody can afford unless they're a business mogul, mm. and that's the Inception. Inception, Ocean's Brain. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, but the idea of Eternal sun, Sunshine is um, uh, J- Jim Carrey wants to forget his relationship with uh, Kate Winslet, and they start going in there and messing with his mind, and effectively they're causing mild brain damage to him. Mm-hmm. And it's just this sad, like, closing off of memories. And um, again, it's bittersweet and quirky and odd and funny. And uh, it's. I actually started watching it at, um, a couple of uh, months ago, and I was already so stressed and upset that I just had to turn it off after about 20 minutes because I was like, this is not a film to watch when you're stressed. Mm. Sometime next year? Maybe, but not this. Okay, same time next year. But that's, yeah, that's, that's all of my influences that I could count. The reason I thought of Final Fantasy VII was um, all of uh, Cloud and Tifa's memories when they're sort of thinking back to... Like, it keeps going back to... Oh, yeah, of course, and and Cloud's memories have been altered as well. Mm. And Tifa's trying to work out what's different about what his version of events and her version of events. But there's a specific scene where they're sat on a well looking up at the moon and the stars, and it's kind of lovely and memorable. Yeah, yeah. I I do love that theme of, of... Things happen and plant memories in your head, and even if you can't work out where those memories came from, mm. the information is still there. And if you can work out how to retrieve it, then it's mm. the the pathways become clear. I think there's a there's a, a moment. This is this is literally just a momentary thing, actually. But the um, the scene where it goes full illustration, um, where they're sitting on the log. 
made me think of the uh, the scene in L.A. Story where they walk through the garden as children. Mm. Yeah. Um, Laura, see L.A. Story as well. It's one of Steve Martin's absolute best films. It's funny and whimsical and, again, bittersweet and sad and... Um, I will I will put it on for my post podcast viewing. <laughs> it's on the list. I'm writing it down now. <laughs> but yeah, you're going to be busy tonight. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's 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 delightful. But uh, yeah, that, that scene that Sharon's talking about is uh, it, they're expressing a vulnerability which neither of them are used to expressing. Mm. Yeah. Um, now somebody asked me, isn't this anime? And don't you have that no anime clause? And I have two get-outs for it. One is that I played this back in 2013 before I had to instill my no-anime clause. And two, um, it's only a little bit anime, and it actually ties in in a very intricate way with nostalgia. When I was about the right age for Chrono Trigger, Chrono Trigger did not come out in England. And that changed the course of my life because I should have played Chrono Trigger at that point. I had already played and loved Secret of Mana and I was just mooching around the SNES back catalogue going, what else is like Secret of Mana? Secret of Evermore is not like Secret of Mana. Um, and that was released in the UK, but Chrono Trigger never was. And then eventually it came out on DS and I got it and I played it to a certain point and I was like, I really want to play this on a big screen. And I played some like ROMs of it and I was like, I really want to play this on the like the, a Nintendo device and then uh, eventually it came to the Wii Virtual Console and I started playing it and I played up to that same place and got stuck and I was like I don't have time for this and what it is is back in the 90s I had the time because I was single and had nobody else to share that time with to play a JRPG from start to finish, all that like 50, 60, 70 hours. Um, I've only played a couple of RPGs uh, since then, and they've been uh, Western RPGs like Mass Effect. Um, but I don't, I don't even have time for Fallout 4. Um, mm. So this makes me nostalgic for that time when I could play a JRPG all the way through. So it all automatically makes me think about the past. And I don't know how much that's going to affect a lot of other people who might play To The Moon because it happens to be right up their alley stylistically. A lot of people who play JRPGs all the time might immediately jump to the moon and be fine with that. But for people who have found that their lives are jam-packed with incident and stuff to do, that's not necessarily better or worse, but it, it's a different way of, way of living. JRPGs in particular are really, really hard to commit yourself to. And that's where this one is really good because it's what five hours. Like it is mm -hmm. actual sit down and play it in a single sitting territory. Absolutely, I think we ran through it in just over four. Yeah, I will mm. actually. I'll put a bit bit at the beginning just after you've given your six minute thing, saying make sure that you guys sit down and what play it all in one go. It might have some annoying puzzles. It might be late at night. But just stick with yeah. it because you want to stay Every emotionally engaged. Yeah, ideally with <laughs> headphones, you don't want to be interrupted. Mm -hmm. Every time I've played To The Moon, I've done it in a single sitting every time. Mm. Like, it's not a game I've ever stopped playing in the middle of. Yeah. There's no ideal place to stop playing, is there? Mm. Well, I suppose well, you could at the beginning of each act, if you were going to yeah. break it up. Mm. Characters, because we can now talk about them. Uh, so, I suppose Eva and Neil we can probably talk about in, in conjunction with one another. Um, 
Neil's pretty easy to, uh, to, to define. He's the annoying, anti-romantic one. Um, but there's a value to that. And either of you guys want to mm, explain is, the value of Neil? Definitely an element of, as Bart would put it, cutting through the treacle, mm-hmm. um, which I think in something which is this emotionally wrought mm. is occasionally a really helpful thing to have because if you go from deeply sad moment to deeply sad moment without any levity you're gonna fall down the rabbit hole not just levity. oh come on sorry laura you come yeah he's he's there to sort of take the end of those scenes where you just kind of want to sit and stare for a while because something big's happened and to be like look we're here doing a job we've got to keep going and to sort of be that catalyst of you do need to keep pushing through this adventure this is something that while it might be affecting these scientists you know they are here doing a job and you sometimes do just need that push of you know you've got to keep going the the pragmatist who's doing his job is making sure you do that for me the um the 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 ultimate value of him is that he scoffs at the overly emotional side of things thus legitimizing that overly emotional side of things if all the characters were wringing their hands and shedding tears for what was going on if everyone was emoting with one another and feeling one another uh, in in exactly the same and exactly the right level it wouldn't be telling the story of the difficulty of conveying emotion yeah yeah he he, he acts as a reminder that the choices being made are not easy Mm. and that there is a counterpoint to just going, oh, this is really nice that this is happening. He reminds you, yeah, but it's a bit more complicated than that. Mm. And specifically when uh, you're starting to shed tears and Neil comes in and says something cutting about how, you know, but says something that to try and dispel the tension, you're like, oh, shut up, Neil, I'm crying here. But that allows you to do that because otherwise if everyone's like isn't this woeful Mm. then you'd feel more manipulated Mm. like you were being pushed into the emotional side of things he gives you a life raft if you are starting to feel that vulnerability that you don't really feel safe exhibiting he lets you feel like it's your choice to experience that bingo he's just safety valve yeah oh uh, and Eva is even more complex. Uh, how would you define her as a character? Because she takes a turn. She makes me think of uh, Alison Mann from um, Why the Last Man. Oh. Laura, have you read Why the Last Man yet? I have. It's pretty fantastic. It is, isn't it? The, that sense of, of somebody who is very scientifically devoted and mm. uh, and has that single-mindedness about their uh, the, the practicality of their purpose, but there is still that that side to their, maybe their motivation that they cannot explain. And mm. there's a point where they just go, do you know what? I'm just going to jump and trust that my emotional reaction to this will take me where I need to go. Yeah. Um, and there's quite a significant point where Eva does exactly that. Mm. She's she's not afraid to trust her moral compass where it where she needs to and to go, 
I'm not doing the right thing and to just trust her judgment. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And that does make that sort of like latter act of the game like completely pulls it to its emotional endpoint. Mm. Yeah, it does. I like the fact that you are basically playing as Eva the whole way through so that when she You can choose. You can you? choose, but if it just never occurred to me to specifically uh, be doing most of the stuff with Neil. Mm. I don't know, okay, right. If you choose to play as Eva for most of the way through and then she abandons the group, mm. that feels like a big betrayal. Mm. And actually, frankly, even if you've just been playing as Neil the whole way through, it would feel like a big betrayal. But if it's if you've been playing as her, she then feels like an unreliable narrator. Like, you knew what wavelength she was on, you were on, because you were effectively RPing as her. Yeah. And then suddenly she makes a turnabout and goes, no, I'm going to be doing this instead. And then dis- disappears. Yeah, all of her decisions were your decisions, and then all of a sudden, wait, she's making decisions that aren't mine. I don't know what she's doing anymore. Mm. Yeah. And it just really adds to that sense of mystery during that, that scene of, wait, what's going on? Go, go, go. Let's try and catch up and find out where the story went. Mm. Yeah. And it, it does have... Um, there's a, a storytelling quality to this which is very difficult to define but it's something that came through when we were playing analog mm-hmm. um, and it's it's not the same as a book because you're you're not seeing what's happening unfold as you read the story I think probably the closest thing I could ally it to is a comic or a graphic novel where the pictures, and your gut tell you where this is going before the text gets you there. Hmm. But you know what's coming next, so the emotion kicks in before you've actually had the dialogue that proves it and cements it. I think, it is extremely powerful. I think a big part of that is how masterfully the music is done, because so hmm. often the music is already subtly starting to build to whatever emotional tone you're about to hit in the narrative Mm. and priming you as the text gets there. Yes. Uh, I mean, we could talk about the music now if you want. Again, uh, composed by uh, uh, Gal, and it's... (sighs) It feels like maybe a third of the emotional impact of the game is purely from the music and and how perfectly it's placed to catch you Mm. if that makes sense to me at least yeah i think in part that's because it has this double barreled impact that it's um i mean music is an extremely powerful uh the word I'm looking for here the the impact that it has on you in fact okay here's the the closest thing I can ally it to you know when they talk about smell Mm -hmm. and the fact Mm -hmm. that smell can unlock memories like instantly and it really can it's one of the strongest triggers um, for um, things like PTSD reactions Um, it can it can bring back memories like that and and there's no real way to guard against it that's the other thing Um, music is a, is very close to that as well. So in addition to it carrying the weight of the narrative that you've got in front of you, it also hits you with that nostalgia for all those games you played that are very similar to this, that have similar mm. music tracks to this. So it's it's kind of releasing all of those stored emotional memories from when you did this before. So it's almost like as well as having the, the layer of this particular game,
game, you're getting everything else as well. Um, so you're kind of having it coming in at you through your eyes and then back at you from your heart and your brain. That sounds completely mm. horrendous, but I, I hope you know what I mean. I get what you mean. Um, <laughs> I, I can't think about this game without thinking about the music, because to me, there are two things I think of when I think of this game. I think of the scene where they're both sat like out, out on the log looking up at the moon, mm-hmm. and there is that scene where like we've had no words in this whole game, and then you get one piece of music with with lyrics yeah. with with words being sung and that that song everything's all right is just this moment of suddenly oh my goodness it was such a good choice of song and such a good way to cement that moment in the narrative as this really big turning point that was important and that you had to remember yeah it's it, amazing i love it, that song so much yeah it's so unexpected and it just gripped me and it the whole narrative surrender is cemented around that song for me like that's the thing that everything ties in with yeah yeah well it, it gives you as well i think a little bit of explanation because and obviously you know as we, we carry on talking about the characters we'll go into river in a bit more detail but the fact that you get very little of river's perspective and that's deliberate um, throughout the story and then you get this song which is almost entirely her perspective and it, it shades everything else everything that comes after it is impacted by those lyrics everything that's already happened um, is enhanced and, and underlined almost by those lyrics it's so rare that any piece of media tackles perspective music about autistic spectrum conditions that some of the bits of lyricism in that song, at least for me, just really hit home. Uh, can you vouch any of them, or is that a bit too oh, personal? Uh, yeah, that's fine. Sorry, one second. I did have lyrics up, and now a terrible page of adverts has come up that I can't get rid of. <laughs> this terrible, like, here's this woman's secrets to getting rid of her foot mold. I'm like, I'm like, thanks for that big picture on my screen. I'm trying to um, trying to see lyrics. <laughs> that's the kind of thing Neil would do. <laughs> um, so yeah, some of, some of the things it like specifically that I've don't really see conveyed like first person in music are things like um she said i'm sad somehow without any words i just stood there looking for an answer um he said i i can't really seem to read you i just stood there never knowing what i should do this sort of idea of first person discussion of the struggles of reading nonverbal cues from people and the struggles that can come along with being expected to understand things that aren't being said yeah is you know it's a it's a difficult thing to live with and it's a powerful thing to hear someone else verbalize well mm, yeah it's it, it's a difficult thing to explain as well um mm. be, because i think from you can you can read about somebody else's experiences and that that is i think one of the most valuable ways of of learning about conditions and perspectives that that Mm. you don't share is is by reading first person accounts from people who who do have those conditions and experiences but this they can still be difficult to translate 
into mm. terms that you grasp if you don't have those experiences. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not saying yeah. it's, in, it's not that it's impossible, but but sometimes I think something very simple and poignant mm. can have more of an impact than you know somebody trying to explain it at great length just in a way that yeah. that doesn't click i, I um, think i think when people try and explain conditions they have that other people don't usually the explanations are even if unintentionally are a little bit clinical in that they are attempts to explain everything at once and that can be a bit overwhelming but there's something yeah. there's something really wonderful about lyrics as a medium for conveying that stuff that mm. The whole idea of strong lyrics is that you take a core idea and you very much simplify it to an emotional, like a single line that conveys an emotional tone. And I think that that's the strength of Everything's Alright, is that it does distill a couple of challenges down into very understandable, digestible, emotion-based sentences. Yeah, absolutely. With Johnny, um, I think of of all the characters in the game, he he was the one that best exemplified why the incredibly simple, bright, colourful graphics lay down assumptions at the beginning of the game that get confounded throughout the game as to the level of complexity of these characters. Um, and... Uh, River as well. It, Rivers are able to to say uh, you know um, um, amazing amounts of of stuff simply by the context of the little things she says and what she does and how other people react to her. But Johnny, because you first meet him as an old man, you assume certain things about him that just slowly get peeled back, and and it's like no, actually he didn't necessarily. You're like we're used to sort of seeing old people living together in a very kind of uh, idyllic. You know, are you happy, darling? Yes, I'm happy, darling. Or at least in a sort of, in that quiet way that old people do, where it's like they found a certain level of contentment. But the level of frustration that both of them feel is really potent, and it's and it causes anxiety to see that happen with older people because you're like I haven't got my shit sorted out yet are you telling me but by the time I'm 70 I still won't have my shit sorted out if anything their relationship gets worse over time like they yeah. get further apart over time and they I, I get the feeling that a lot of it is sunk cost fallacy this idea that yeah. they've been together long enough that even though things aren't working or are getting worse, they're still trying to make it worse at work because they've sunk so much time into it. Mm. I think, though, there's also that element um, that, that obviously doesn't come clear until the end, that, that Johnny has her locked in his mind somewhere. Mm. Um, and he doesn't know... I, I think there's a, a degree of he sticks, but he doesn't know why. Mm. I think some of it is this possibly a feeling that he owes something to River that he doesn't know how to give. That there's, like, something he's supposed to do and that it's not fair to leave without doing so, but he can't remember what it is. Yeah, yeah. But then that makes her very 
subtle and gentle attempts to remind him, which again, you don't realise that that's what she's doing until close mm-hmm. to the end, the more powerful and the more poignant, because by the by the time you get to the end of the story, I mean, that, that was one of the things that I thought was the mo- one of the most amazing turnarounds, that you go through the bulk of, of seeing their relationship as it works backwards, thinking, you know, she's she finds it difficult to communicate and, and that's very stressful for him. And, and, and I think that's that's kind of a bit of a, a, a typical and slightly stereotyped way of, of looking at a, a relationship where one person is is typical in their either their neurological setup or their their health needs and the other person is not that it's it's a, a burden on the person who is quote unquote normal um, that they're the one who's who has to make all the running and, and make all the adaptations but the fact that by the time you get to the end of this it's like actually, she was kind of putting up with him all these years and his inability to remember this really important key moment in their life. And she's and, and if you look at it that way, she's the one who stuck. She's the one who put the effort in to try, you know, because she she whether for for reasons of he was all she had or, or you know, whatever inscrutable motivation she had for for wanting to be with him she didn't want to let go of that that moment inscrutable is a negative way of putting it um Um, intangible yes sorry that is better difficult to put a finger on which is obviously Mm. the whole point absolutely and 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 obviously she has even less chance of being able to communicate that than the average person yeah Um, yeah i I was so by the end of this i was all i could feel well all i could feel i felt many 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 things (laughs) but one of the most uh strong emotions that I felt was was pride I was so proud of River for for all the effort that she made and everything that she tried to do and the fact that through it all she was she remained herself she didn't sacrifice the the crucial elements of who she was for that mm. I, I River's reasons for staying in that relationship I, I think about a lot and I think one of the key things that sticks in my mind is this idea that for someone who so often felt like people didn't understand her thought process, mm. that moment looking, you know, sat on the log looking up at the moon was a moment where someone understood what she wanted and why. Yeah. And that someone had this rare moment of insight into, you know, her priorities and her thought processes. And that's a tough thing to walk away from when you struggle to explain to people how you feel and why mm. to to walk away from someone who at some point understood you yeah so do you think those the uh, the replays with the rabbits were in a way her trying to recapture that moment yeah i i feel like it's a, it's potentially a slightly exaggerated way of of presenting it in a piece of media but i get the impression that what the creator wanted to get across with that was this idea that she didn't want to remind him directly of oh do you remember this day where we sat on this log and we had this conversation because she's hoping that by showing a representation of what she felt and what was important to her that she wants him to remember Mm. she wants him to be like oh I understand what this means because I understand your thought process like I did before. Yeah. And I think that's that's as much as she's trying to remind him of that particular incident, 
she's hoping that he'll understand the rabbits because that'll confirm yes he does still understand me yeah um speaking about Joey and the mother does she get a name uh, uh, the mother of the only, twins. I, I only remember them referring to her as mom. Yeah, I don't remember her name. Because of the, the only fragment we get of uh, of the mother and um, uh, the, you know knowing what she does, it's really really hard to sort of push through the idea of that she's a monster and just look at her as a flawed human being because we only get a snapshot of her, a tiny little bit. Um, and what I wanted to know was what. How do beta blockers work in this context? Um, not not strictly not like, like this. <laughs> I was going to say because what what she basically seems to do with them is total recall. <laughs> well, what I mean the the purpose because the, the when they're brought up, I think um, Neil says something about there's no record of heart disease in his uh, in his yeah. medical um, files, and I believe when they're used for heart problems, isn't it something to do with the uptake of cholesterol or something? Um, I, I believe the practical application of them is that they tend to slow the heart rate. Right. Okay. And I don't know exactly to what end, but it's right, okay. it's that they, they're used to help. Like In some contexts, they're used to help people focus. Like sometimes people will use them without heart conditions because they're trying to focus better. Hmm. I, I don't know. I'm... I know that they're not meant to be erasing portions of people's mind yeah. medication. Yeah. Well, I think the the idea that that you can chemically tweak specific memories um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I think the the, the idea that it was um, it, it caused almost a complete break in Johnny's memory at that point, so he literally didn't remember anything about what happened before he took them, is probably feasible depending on the kind of chemicals that were involved but it, it seems like a you're cracking a nut with a sledgehammer in all seriousness the uh, the fact that his mother um accidentally killed one of her children and then tried to erase the memory from her well uh, successfully erase the memory from the mind of the other child the first one was just a terrible, terrible mistake. The second was a premeditated act of guilt, which is pretty unforgivable. But the fact that clearly it troubled Johnny to the point where he was taking on board aspects of his dead brother mm. and allowing them to f rule his life and choices in a way mm. she couldn't possibly have missed but didn't say anything about, that is unforgivable. Oh, yeah. That is another thing it reminded me of, and I'd completely forgotten about it. Right, Virginia Andrews, who wrote The Flowers in the Attics books, yeah. also wrote a book called My Sweet Audrina, mm -hmm. which is effectively this in reverse. Um, there's a girl who is basically told that she had an older sister who died because she was raped and the trauma of it basically killed her. Right. Um, however, what's actually happened is that was her. That, was that her attack they... happened to her, and her parents convince her that she is a completely different person yeah. than the sister that this attack happened to. Mm -hmm. And they did like they they rig things with newspapers to change the date, and they tweak her age, and they uh, they inf she's homeschooled, so they can keep her completely isolated, and they they kind of 
over the years they've been trying to shorten each year so that she gradually catches up to the age that she really is and it's it's ridiculously complicated and you couldn't possibly instrument it in, in real life but that idea of, of all with smartphones well no indeed <laughs> you certainly couldn't do it now um, but that idea of, of manipulating somebody um, because you think here's a traumatic thing that they couldn't possibly cope with mm. and not trusting that person to have the strength to deal with this situation. Well, in the case of the mother, it's, you know, that she's so riven with guilt over what she's done. She doesn't want anybody, well, she doesn't want her son to hate her for this terrible mm -hmm. thing. So she makes this, like, it doesn't matter whether the, the, the beta blockers couldn't do that. Say, you know, so, she took him to total recall. Somebody's had um, to collude, though. A doctor's yeah. had to say, yes, you can have these, this, is okay, fine. this thing. So I did have a look at the explanation for the beta blocker, um, the way that they're used in this narrative. Mm -hmm. um, I was right that they are used for reducing um, heart rate, basically, by reducing the amount of adrenaline produced. Okay. Um, they're used for things like heart failure, angina, the heart conditions because they slow the heart rate they're also used for other things they're used for anxiety conditions mm -hmm. which is quite possibly how they got uh, like um prescribed here yeah well, the, re the reduction of the adrenaline would make sense with yeah that. they're also diagnosed for for use as antipsychotics right wow. and that's a potential explanation of how the side effect of uh, a lapse in mental or memory faculty could occur right. is okay. the is the overuse of them could cause issues because of their antipsychotic properties in that they can have an effect on they can have an effect on the brain by reducing the 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 rate of heart of the heart too much for too long right okay there so, might also be yeah. an element of um ad adrenaline it's not no let me get this right because my understanding of the neuroscience is limited at best but um adrenaline it's not directly linked to the formation of traumatic memories but when there is a high amount of adrenaline re re uh, released in the brain because you've experienced something traumatic that's mm. when you get these permanent and fixed memory stamped that people then have to resolve because it keeps triggering and replaying in the brain because it doesn't yeah. process properly. If, if nothing else, the idea of prescribing these as an, as an anti-anxiety after the death of a close family member and yeah. having too many of them that it causes issues with fixing that memory in your head, yeah, there's, there's something feasible if a little unlikely to it. Yeah. Tweakable but, by 2050. Yeah. <laughs> Point we being, could, that you got mother... But the beta blockers ooh. in the 90s. Yeah, yeah that mother is uh, uh, the secret. He, she certainly was the villain of the piece. Mm. But again, a lot of that, I think, comes down... The, the way that softened is that it, it you see the impact of the trauma on her as yeah. well. The fact that she forgets... She almost seems to forget sometimes what's happened and she calls Johnny Joey, which can't have helped his confusion. Mm. Um, but... Um, but she's obviously suffered from, uh, you know, trauma and anxiety herself. Yeah. And she doesn't want her son to go through it, which no, no, on which paper is, is understandable. It's understandable, yeah, absolutely. But again, I think for me, the, the guiding line is this, you have to trust that that person can cope with the truth. You might need yeah. to control how you 
release that truth and at what pace and and especially with children you know how much can they cope with yeah but the solution is not completely hide it from them forever absolutely apart from anything because it doesn't work you can't hide something from somebody forever you know that's does require the the entire neighborhood to pretend that there was only ever one boy yeah (laughs) there is that but yeah ignore the fact you have a bunk bed it's fine (laughs) we we just put that there so you'd have somewhere to put your cuddly toys yes um but um, the whole principle of, of um, psychological therapies is, is sort of on the basis that you can't suppress memory forever. You know, bad things that have happened in your life will have an impact. You can't simply paper over them and pretend that they don't exist, no matter how much some people's parents might like to think that you can. Um, anyway. Gameplay, specifically the movement and puzzles. Now, I've got a feeling that here we're going to get to the... I had no problem with any of the bits of Breath of the Wild that drove other people a bit crazy. Bit. Or maybe not. Um, um, uh, Laura, how did you find the mechanics of the game? I think that To the Moon is very... It's undeniably mechanically simple. Mm -hmm. Because basically it's wander around the environment looking for things until the game tells you this is the important thing to the plot. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what's going on. And while... For me, that is not necessarily a positive. It is something that is a little bit luck and trial and error based and a little sort of unnecessary uh, unnecessary or not necessarily very well developed mechanically. What I do appreciate is that it is easily enough accessible that people who don't have a lot of experience with video game mechanics can still make their way through it and I think for something that is as narratively focused as this and as short as it is it is to its benefit that it is mechanically accessible even if I as someone familiar with gameplay mechanics at times am not super engaged with the gameplay so you could have done with a bit more gamey stuff (sighs) either more or less I I, I'm not (laughs) I, it's I, not just right, though. It's not just right. Okay, I'm not saying that it needed more or less gameplay, actually. I think that the gameplay that is there could have been good had it been better, either contextualized or explained. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was some kind of context going into each scene for what sort of thing you were looking for, as opposed to just having to scour environments until you find the things that would probably have been a better design decision. I can almost guarantee that almost everyone listening, when they were asked what animal animal did uh, Toby, or whatever his name was, turn into, most people would have gone, oh, what the hell am I supposed to know that? And Google it, that's fine. Um, but it, like, it, it, that, like, that comes out of nowhere in the, in the game. Mm. For, for us... It's almost like what you said about the story being so strong actually worked against the gameplay because the gameplay was stumbling blocks. Mm, like, yeah. we're getting through this story, we're chomping away, and we're going, oh, this is great, this is great. Now, wait, wait, do this slide puzzle. Yeah, now you have an inordinately complicated slide puzzle. And I think. Now do 15 more slide that, puzzles. That they were so simple and easy to actually engage with is a positive. And I liked the fact that you had to do something um, <laughs> to, to the, kind of, of set or trigger that little little bit that it wasn't just find these things. You didn't necessarily want to do that same thing. 
overreacting. Yeah. Exactly. And the fact that they artificially been... extending that first act longer yeah. than it needed and, to be. And the, when we played through it this time, we had the guide, so it was like, right, click this, then this, then this, then this. That was fine. But the first time I played through, I do distinctly remember basically going, right, okay, how many times am I going to have to randomly click these flicked switches to work out, you know, yeah. eventually get to the point. And it, it does drop a roadblock for me in the middle of, of what I was trying to be yeah. engaged with. It's, it's um, never what I come to this game excited to experience. Exactly. Ooh, exactly. Puzzles. And I think the the part where you have the um the side scrolling it's not really a beat 'em up, shoot 'em up, whatever. The obstacle course. Yeah. It was a literal obstacle. Right. What that the first time I played it, that nearly stopped me dead. Because? Because I couldn't... It loops. And I couldn't get... There was a, a point that I couldn't get the hits in quick enough to get rid of the zombies, and the spikes kept kicking me backwards. It's and not then, an action game, and suddenly introducing action mechanics. It's like if you've got a, a, a third-person shooter, mm-hmm. and then suddenly there's a driving section. It's and like, well, you're not... You, you aren't is, a driving it's, game. It's and, the only, and there's only one in the whole game, and it's not yeah. good. And it's the only time that this game requires you to have Twitch... Mecha- yeah. uh, like uh, precision Finger. that you need to be Absolutely. able to react quickly to things that you can't take your time and think through it yeah and that's not ideally placed when you're playing with a keyboard even mm. for somebody who is familiar with keyboard play um, it's not um, I, I think what I found the most frustrating about it is that it was a little bit narratively consistent in the sense that Neil is supposed to be frustrated and and, mm. um, and angry at that point because he can't get through this looping, repetitive obstacle course that Eva set mm. up for him. So that was consistent. And if I'd managed to then get through it in about three minutes experiencing that feeling of frustration that would have been perfect but unfortunately because I'm not good enough at, at being reactive to these things that are popping up I couldn't and it and it nullifies that emotional reaction yeah. because it's artificially stretched and I can't do anything to get past it. I can get a guide to do the puzzles, yeah. and I can reduce the frustration in those. I can't do that with the side-scrolling bit. It's like, um, okay, you're, you're reading a book, you can only go to the next, the last chapter if you do this cup and ball, and you've... Uh... Yeah! <laughs> You've got infinite time for it, but you've I, got to do the cup and ball. I, I always, I always forget which um, comedian it is that ha- that had this uh, joke, but it was something to the effect of, you would, you don't get the sort of thing, the progression blocking in any other medium that you get in video games. You don't get like a book turns around and says, now you have to do this quiz. Did you pay enough attention to the book? If yeah. not, start over. I, it's, um, it's an Irish guy. Dermot O'Hunley. Uh, no, is it, is it Dara O'Brien? Dara O'Brien, it is. I'm pretty Dara sure it's Dara O'Brien, yeah. yeah no, but it's it this idea that like no other Game piece Bit. of media is like, oh no, you are not good enough at the piece of media. Go back and redo the story and yeah. hopefully you'll get through it this time. Because so much of game mechanics are like, you know, here you learn this principle and then we're going to test you on this principle with the end of level boss. Like Zelda's exactly that the whole time. Like, what mm. have you learned about the boomerang? Mm. Um, and yeah, that doesn't work in any other media. I'll talk about that in a, at the end for adaptation regarding how this might work in other media. But um, the horse I can race. Think of an example. Yeah, the horse race. <laughs> Um, the horse race also drove you nuts as well because you're like, oh god, stop that was, yeah, that was less of an issue because that I, I think once I 
grasped the fact that these things were not timed because the the other thing is as well they put music on it that makes you feel like you're running against the clock mm. and mm -hmm. that's one thing that is guaranteed to turn me off again yeah. that, that you have a limited amount of time and if you don't get it done within this time it's all going to fall apart and you're going to have to start again because i i have this anxiety thing and it kicks in in those situations and guess what happens when your anxiety kicks in your brain literally stops working as well as it should do however there's actually a contextual reason why these puzzles are a bad idea for the game and that's to do with time as we said earlier it's best to do this in one sitting most people will play this when they get home from work on us on a given day and they've put their bag up had their dinner had a shower settled themselves down it's 8 or 8 30 it takes four and a half hours to finish the game that means by the end you're going past midnight so basically, as you're creeping towards midnight, everything that holds you back from finishing before what bedtime you need to get to, because yeah. you've got work in the morning... It's an excuse to put it off till tomorrow. It's like either, do I stop now or do I carry on? And then you just soldier on, but you resent those puzzles mm. rather Plus, than liking them. And if you're tired, that... I mean, in my case, when I'm tired, my anxiety gets worse, my reaction time's slow, yeah. my ability to absorb what information I'm getting in front of me is, is worse. I can't take in the emotional depth that's in front of me because I'm exhausted. The juice-to-squeeze ratio on the game gets interrupted and changed because you're having to squeeze too hard. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. The, I mean, it, the fact that we still loved the game is testament to the fact that they only did minimal damage. Mm. But if they had only been in there as like a little fun mini game and you only had to do one slide puzzle and you only had to do like like if they don't like do this like 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 ten different things throughout the game mm. that were all distinct from one another, you, it would probably would have been I mean the the one action sequence. Mm. I quite like this idea of a quiz actually on the, <laughs> on the story so far. Oh, Instead of maybe they could have a bit where it's like right, do you want to do a side-scrolling obstacle course? Or would you like to answer a short quiz about the themes of To the Moon so far? Well, you could contextually make that work by being like, okay, we the scientists have to make sure that we're programming this all in right. Uh, yeah. Let's mm. just go back over our notes. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, tell you what, one of them, like, uh, Neil says, well, I've got to go do this thing. Eva mm. says, well, I've got to do this thing. And you decide which Choose one which you one want to go do. with. Right, yeah. the, the puzzle where you have to link up the images, mm. um, that one I love. I think that's great. That works brilliantly. It's cerebral, yeah. Yeah. But uh, uh, there is quite a good variety. The problem is the repetition of mm. the slide puzzle thing. Yeah, like yeah. he, he, he fixed you on that like as, a, on as a as oh, a this is good. Do the slide puzzle thing. Mm. It reminds me of cheaper games, yeah. which are nowhere near as prestigious as this should be. Like mm. you don't need to do this stuff. Mm. The idea of bringing that in with other media, though, I, I I quite like the thought that if you're watching, say, for example, Game of Thrones, and it gets to the last ad break, and it's like, right, okay, now you have to just answer a quick question about the theme of the episode so far, and whether you liked the violence, and if you get it wrong, you're not allowed to see the last 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer to whether you like the violence has always got to be yes. No. I did like the violence. <laughs> oh shit! I'm pretty sure if you ticked no, I didn't like the violence, they'd be like, it's not the show for you, you're not allowed to finish the episode. Yeah, no. Why are you Point. watching if you didn't like the violence? Goodbye. Here's Teletubbies. <laughs> um, that's, there is a point in between. I know. I believe it's Gravity Falls. Right, so... Um, 
ethical quandaries because um, somebody uh, mentioned on Twitter, um, Joanna, uh, that Johnny never knows the truth about his wife after she spent so long trying to get him to remember it, which feels very sad to Joanna. And um, that made me think about the, like, uh, it's not necessarily what um, she was getting at, but the ethical situation that the um, scientists get themselves into. Because they're there tampering with the memories at the behest of the dying. Mm. And, like, to begin with, they're already, like, on shaky ethical grounds. Just their job mm. is shaky ethical grounds. Mm. The fact that the person dying has asked you for it makes it even more murky and well, grey. I think this is why they have this thing about, right, we have to stick to the instructions, we have to stick yeah. to the contract, and the reason for that is that you you, ha you then have a bright line. When you have somebody who is, is professionally in a job which has uh, ethical mm. blurriness, there needs to be parameters that will enable people to do that job without it then becoming a case of you will get a different professional response yeah. depending on who you get you, because person a might make a different decision than person b and you can't do that yeah. from a business perspective you can't have moral judgments in something like this but that doesn't mean that it's a moral it's morally in the clear because i think i think it's one of the things that's so bittersweet about the way this game plays out is this idea that yes the dying man has the has the right and the ability to consent to you altering his memories of his life but those there, anyone left in his life hasn't consented to what you're doing and there are people alive or not who will be remembered differently because mm. of something you're doing and that yeah yeah it's to me it, it's a morally difficult question because it's like you have the you have the consent of the person whose memory you're changing but should you need the consent of the people whose like memories of are being changed? Like it, it's a big old rabbit hole to go down, which is why they draw that line of, this is what we were, we were contracted to do, and the person has consented to. That's what we do. Yeah, they treat each individual brain in isolation, mm. and um, and one of the things I had to, I had to remind myself. This is the thing when it got to the end, and I realised what Eva had done and how she changed the the memories so inherently. Mm. Um, part of me was really really aggrieved for River that that her her life had effectively been completely rewritten without her permission without her knowledge yeah. and i it, had to remind myself actually hang on a minute river isn't actually affected by this because she's already passed on yeah but it but it, it still felt a bit ugh. i think part of why it feels so uh is that even though nothing's physically changing for her the reason why he wanted to go to the moon in the first place was because it was important to River. Mm. And while he ends up having his his what he asked for of his memory of going to the moon, mm. he doesn't get what he actually needed, which was, I understood River, my wife, at this one point. Mm. And, like, the thing that he, like, was scratching in his brain that he really wanted was... I want to remember what it was that me and my wife connected over that 
was keeping us going that was that that glue that I can't seem to quite nail down. Mm, and, yeah, and he he gets what he asks for, but I would argue maybe not what he wanted mm, or I the think, root of what he wanted anyway. Yeah, I think he he does get a little bit of it for, because for me, and again, part of the beauty of this is that there are multiple ways that you mm. can read this and the, the impact that it would have had on Johnny. Um, the the way I kind of I kind of took it is this idea that the the motivation to go to the moon for him was that if he and River get separated, which they now have at this point mm-hmm. in his life, that he will go to the moon and she will be there. Now, and or she will meet him there. Now, yeah. he obviously doesn't remember this. He doesn't remember why. All yeah. he knows is River's gone. I now have a great motivation to, to want to go to the moon. But, so but, what he what he gets out of the memory that Eva puts together, and it is by no means perfect, it's not mm. complete, it's not what he really wanted um, in this memory that he can't access, um, but what he does get is he gets to meet her again. Which yeah, means but, that it might not be in the same context, but he gets that moment of being with her for the first time but I, I in think, a different form. I think this is part of what's so sad is he does get to go to the moon and find river mm, but, but it's, it's not, not river. the river it's not yeah. river mm. yeah and that's that's what's so sad about it is by rewriting her so drastically he goes to the moon but it's not the river that he was supposed to go to the moon with yeah oh that reminds me the other influence in this in the names doctor who river oh song. yeah yeah river and john yeah. There is, it's important to note that um, they do have a life after the moon. That he, he does recraft that. Um, he's using the components of what he has experienced. He has effectively created her ghost. The. Um, there's a film, uh, a Ricky Gervais film called Ghost Town, where the final conclusion is that ghosts are our loved ones that we keep with us, and it's mm. the letting go of them that allows the ghost to um, depart. And effectively, um, River's ghost has been haunting him unsettled, uh, not just uh, since she died, but for his entire life because he's got this ghost of this little girl that he can't quite get a bead on and never could. So if you take this as uh, a applying mental constructs to our previous conceptions of the supernatural, he is, with the help of Eva rewriting history for him, coming to terms with Maybe that he didn't understand the woman, but the, the, the key aspect, and I think Sharon said this, and I think you've already addressed this, Laura, but the, the key aspect is simply the, the sense of being lost and mm-hmm. found again. Yeah. Which is quite a powerful thing to take you through that final doorway I think a, a little bit as well what it reminded me of is um, a, a, it's not really a treatment but a, a 
a, a way of helping people who are experiencing um, dementia and, and Alzheimer's and, and things like that, where their environment is set up in such a way that they do not feel scared of it. They, they, you know, they have a room that's decorated the way they remember their room from the 50s, or they, they've, um, there's care homes that go out of their way to get um, things like antique typewriters for people who were secretaries in, in the memories that they can access. Mm. Um, and, and they have, um, you know, clothes from from back in the days that they can remember. And the whole point, it's, it's the lie, it's the beautiful lie. The world is not that way anymore. But ultimately, they, they can't, you know, because of the way they are limited in their interaction, they can't go out into the real world. They do need to be in a, a protected environment. And what the point of this is, as far as I can understand it, is to make that protected environment as... Um, as kind as possible and, and and as unthreatening as possible so that they what they do have the memories of they are surrounded by so they can make those connections between what's in their head and what's in their environment and it, although this isn't exactly the same it's almost the other way around it's changing the, the mind to fit with the environment that the person wants um, that was kind of what it put me in mind of. Mm. Joanna also uh, mentioned um, 51st Dates. Do you remember that one? Yes. Mm. Um, I don't really want to spoil the ending of that film. It's definitely worth seeing, but um, Drew Barrymore has a condition whereby she wakes up every morning and it's the same day to her, the day which she eventually had an accident and can't remember beyond that. Um and so every day she wakes up and her family tries to um, make it the same day so as not to freak her out. But the way that the uh, ending is orchestrated there does have that same kind of bittersweet, we need to move on with, a, with, with life, and you need to move on with life, but this is about the most, the sweetest way we can get you to do that and without being terrified every morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, if the alternative is just keeping that person in a state of stasis, that's that's not necessarily a natural environment. Although, if their mind is stuck in that scenario anyway, I mean, there is no right or wrong answer with with dementia. It is one of the cruelest situations to be either afflicted with or very close to someone who is afflicted, which. Mm -hmm. This, I don't want to self-promote. I, I mean, I do all the time anyway. But um, we've touched on so many themes that have ended up winding themselves into the Princess Thieves, which is my most recent um, story. And the whole of, of New Century is is, a, is about grief and um, uh, and, the, and living with the loss of loved ones. And this kind of story is very powerful to me. Uh, and it's 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 also tough to watch. It's it's tough to um, take you know to play through because mm. because I feel such a, a potent you know sense of resonance there. Um, so one of my last questions is uh, adaptation. 
Not everyone could play this game for five hours. Not everyone would put up with the puzzles. Not everyone would mm-hmm. like the um, classic game style. Um, I believe this actually, like a, a lot of people would be immediately dismissive. No, it's a game. It shouldn't be anything else. Um, and it's like, well, that's great for you and everyone else who would love this kind of game. But there are people for, who would actually genuinely benefit from it who couldn't play this kind of game. It might be the people who physically can't play this kind of game. Um, so how would you, if you were going to, like, what would your ideal dream adaptation for this be to another media? Any media of your choice could be sock puppets. <laughs> But um, but yeah, if you were going to uh, produce it, say. The problem I have with that question is my, my gut instinct is to say that this would probably be best adapted to, say, like a two and a half hour film or something, something like that. But the problem, the problem I think you would get is that a lot of the... A lot of the way that the reveal is handled of... River having Asperger's and things like that mm. would be hard. Like they're easier to keep a secret until the point that the pacing dictates they should be revealed in a medium like an RPG maker game where there's no voice acting. Yeah. Purely because of the fact that it's much easier to avoid the pitfalls of poor representation of autistic spectrum conditions. Because I think mm-hmm. if you were going to cast a live action actor or actress to play river you would you would likely have some of those story beats be apparent earlier than they were in the pacing of the source material just because no director is ever happy with the idea of like it's they would want to put in things about the way they cast the character that would ultimately clue you in earlier than you're meant to be clued in yeah. Um, which is my only concern about movie as an adaptation medium. I think I have a way that you could possibly get around that a little bit because I I think it, it would need to be a film. I, I don't think a TV series would work. It would stretch the emotional beats out too long. Yeah, and it's I think a one you, you need yeah. the building intensity that a, yeah. a, a film gives you. And I think you're right, Lyra. Uh, Laura, Lyra? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> She's taller than Lyra. I do apologise. Um, I think you're right, Laura. The, um, the, the length of about sort of two and a half hours or so would give you the time to be. Or less able without to- the puzzles. Let's <laughs> the puzzles, yeah. Um, but um, honestly, the first thing that popped into my mind, Leica. Yeah. Mm. Laura, have you seen Kubo and the Two Strings, Coraline? I, I have, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So Coraline particularly, I was thinking of, because if you, if you have um, that stop-motion animation mm. feel... Um, first of all, the fact that River's facial expressions aren't necessarily going to match everybody else's, it's not going to be signalled as much. Mm. With um, with stop motion animation. See, you say that, but it, the irony, like Kubo's mother, mm. they convey so much. I know. Brilliantly, with very slight movements. Yeah, I know. But what I mean, and is it's the opposite can, of what you're saying. They're very expressive they, as to they her can condition. Be very expressive, but that's my point. They have control over it. Yeah. yeah. They're not relying on the ability of one actor to be able to get that across. You're right. Um, <laughs> Oh, I was, I was just going to say, I think there's one thing that's really important to note as well about this being adapted to a movie, hmm. which is that even if they did slightly overplay River's um, autistic spectrum traits, 
I think that the one thing you would have to make sure was kept in there was the uh, I've completely forgotten the character's name now. Isabel. 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 Uh, the other yeah. person on the spectrum. Is, yeah, you'd have to make sure you keep in in Isabel because having a second character on the autistic spectrum who, by design, the way she's written, is that she outwardly copes a lot better with her condition. Mm-hmm. gives a really good mirror that like would justify okay you slightly played up the acting on Rivers Rivers condition but you have this nice analog to show it as a spectrum mm-hmm. and it's something that I don't think we've really touched upon during this podcast but mm. the way that that dichotomy of someone who struggles with their condition a lot more but that's a very accepted thing about them because it's a thing that's tough not to notice versus Isabel who is much better at keeping it hidden a lot of the time but when it does show people accuse her of playing it up because oh you're usually fine why are you you know having issues now yeah. and the the ways that that um, causes her to have different but also significant struggles I think as long as you keep both of those in and keep that, like there's a very specific speech in that game that um, it's the one you can look it up that starts with, uh, with effort, it's possible to acquire a guise of social norms systematically. Mm. Um, That like, I think as long as you kept that speech in, you could get away with Rivers being on the autistic spectrum, being slightly overplayed and, have that not ultimately ruin a movie adaptation mm. hmm. yeah I would also I, I could like keep the Laura Shigihara song mm. in there oh definitely don't oh, definitely. change a note yeah the, the music you could pick and choose from and, and um, I mean there's, there's probably more on the soundtrack than you need for a two and a half the hour track, movie that's the one track that would have to be in there absolutely back it up because you think about the if it's stop motion animation you're saying you want four more years of the of Liker's lives <laughs> for two and a half hours I re- honestly reckon you could get it into three acts 30 minutes each, maybe an extra, like an epilogue of, of, of 10 minutes. So, mm. hour and 40, get this. You tale do strip told. out a lot of time when you don't have Eva and Neil wandering around the garden <laughs> trying yeah, to I mean, remember where the lighthouse it is. It is possible to tell the story succinctly. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think they do an extremely good job in being able to make it a game you can play in one sitting. Mm. Yeah. But um, honestly, I, I actually feel like this is a story that can genuinely help people who are nowhere near the autistic spectrum, but need something like this Mm. or or just like to help kids be more accepting. Mm. Like, and I mean, like you only get seen by about $40,000 worth of people each movie anyway. Um, so $40 million worth of people, you know, at best, uh, 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 but having it out there makes it reference material that makes it easy to just put in and watch for an hour and a half with your grandma mm. you could what you know yeah this, maybe not grandma because you're like well this old man's dying quick watch this <laughs> might be useful granny so gran what memories would you like to alter as you shuffle from off that's off? terrible no i mean watch it with your grandma when she's younger i don't know <laughs> but, yeah no i think there are definitely a couple of scenes in this that could really work in that sort of film as like a mm. a good reference point for children of trying to understand some of the thought processes of people who struggle to socialize um, with those kind of conditions. 
Like, I think I think a really big one is that conversation. Like, River's entire explanation of why she wants to uh, befriend the lighthouses. This idea of social isolation represented as like being able to see something from a distance but not being able to reach it and even though you want to reach out you just are too far away yeah and, and like the fact, yeah sorry, go on. no that's all right and I, I i think what ties in with that as well is the idea that you can shine all you like if if the person at the other end of it doesn't see that light mm. or doesn't have a way to shine back to you it's of limited use i mean i think one of the one of the key messages that i would i would love there to be lots of stuff that makes this very very clear to children is if there's somebody who sees the world a little bit differently and interprets things a bit differently to how you and and your um your people that you know would does that really matter you know it's if they if they interpret something in a way that that you wouldn't think of is that is that a bad thing does it automatically have to be fixed and changed and mm. you know why do you automatically have to go to the having to mold somebody into being again quote unquote normal um you know that that what Isabel's speech about um, you know the, the fact that she has to be on all the time that yeah. there is no respite for her from from having to keep up this front that's heartbreaking mm. um, and and I, I loved the, the little bit at the end there about how on, on some level she, she envies River because River has more of an opportunity to be herself and just go well you know if, if people don't yeah. get that then ultimately I've lived with it this long I can probably live with it a bit longer yeah I think Isabel's speech is for me the thing that hits home the most is this mm. whole idea that she talks about she talks about Asperger's in terms of being something that you can if you're someone who outwardly is able to cope with your symptoms in a way that is usually not visible to the world mm. that's not to say that you're not struggling that you have to learn to mimic and act and replicate and that's something that takes constant effort to do. She describes it as like, you know, not only on stage, but off stage, practically every moment she has to be an actor. Mm. It's this, uh, the way she talks about it as something that some days she just wishes she could not have to put that energy and effort into trying to present herself that way. Mm. But the, the way she sort of wraps it up is like it's too late the Isabel that people know of is an act and the real me has long become a stranger mm -hmm. and then she says this sort of in the end I think I just envy her it's this idea that some days living with autistic spectrum conditions you can just find yourself in this position of I just don't want to have to put that effort into putting that facade up but the second you drop it and you just sort of do what you need to do to cope, people will question, you're not normally like this. Are you playing this up to try and get some benefit out of a social situation or mm. something to that effect? And you realize that by usually coping well, you've lost your ability to cope badly when you need to. Yeah. And yeah, it's a really, diff it's a really difficult, complex topic that's handled in like a single paragraph really well yeah yeah hmm. 
It's an impressive as hell game. Uh, Lyra was very good the whole way through. She was quite helpful with pointing out clues. Mm. She knew where things would be and yeah. she was paying attention. She, she understood it. She was really it. engaged in the story. I kept saying to her, when it was talking about more complex themes, I kept kind of looking at her and going, are you getting everything here? Is there anything you need me to explain? She's like, no, 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 I'm doing fine. Mm. Once or twice I actually started explaining something and she just looked at me and went... I know, mummy. <laughs> okay, fine. We taught her well. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, one thing I found out today, and I'm going to end on this one, um, unless you have anything else to add on top of this, I didn't know, but um, there's a sequel coming out really soon. <gasps> and it, it's, uh, it's called um, uh, Finding Paradise. There was actually like a, a little mini sode that was released a couple of years I ago. I knew about a bird story. Called a bird story, yeah. which is mm-hmm. small and not particularly fantastic from the sounds of it. Yeah, this, this is why I've been hesitant about the sequel is because a bird story was really mediocre. Oh. And I was like, I played a bird story and was really quite disappointed, which is why I've been sort of just... I'll wait until the sequel happens, and if it's fantastic, then that's great. But yeah. I'm not going to count the days to it right now. Hmm. When we finished, Lyra said, please tell me there's another one of these. Like, she was invested in the world and the premise and obviously wanted to go on another emotional journey like that. And I think that's probably exemplifying what most people might feel um when they've finished crying because um i've been i mentioned that we were doing this on twitter and i've been getting loads of tweets all day like, oh my god i cried so hard and what one person said i ugly cried like i i can i all i know what ugly cried means but i can never really consider that to be ugly no there's especially, something very beautiful about an ugly cry <laughs> yeah especially if it's full-throated like <laughs> yeah like obviously that's an exaggerated comedy version of it but like um no i i know exactly what you mean it's it's i have perfected the art over the years of crying completely silently and keeping my face totally immobile so the only reason you know i'm crying is that there are tears um rolling down my face you sniff however it is a moment of great personal relief when i'm in an environment where i can just let it go and ball and Mm. and just think you know what fuck it i don't care who hears me yeah I um, seized up the moment the uh, title sequence music started playing and then it cuts. I think it's because it's beautiful, but then it cuts to the little girl playing it on the piano and that's extra beautiful. Mm-hmm. Especially as you consider that she, she barely speaks or doesn't speak at all throughout the whole adventure. Does she have a name? Do you mean um, Lily's daughter? Yeah. Uh, it's Tommy and Sarah. Yeah. Tommy mm-hmm. does all the talking and leads her around and it feels like there's a symmetry there with the quiet little girl following around the boy um, and but be expressing herself in this beautiful way and I never really stopped being seized up the whole game because mm. it just doesn't I mean it like it allows you those little brief moments of laughter so that you can sort of let out the tension but it's it's a real I would say emotional roller coaster but it's it's a it's a it's not really a roller coaster because no. it's too measured for that. Mm. It's a magical mystery tour of melancholy. Mm. <laughs> Beautifully put, my love. <laughs> Anything else to add to to the moon? The only other thing I think of of note is that 
considering that she's not the main character and that she's not the person whose memories are being gone into particularly etc i think that not only having one of the most narratively relevant characters be someone with an autistic spectrum condition not only having two people with autistic spectrum conditions that suffer with them in different ways and have different issues as a result but also having both of those people be women with autistic spectrum uh, conditions Mm -hmm. is really really rare in any kind of media Um, particularly considering the fact that like statistically women are a lot less frequently diagnosed with autistic spectrum conditions and it's thought that it's not actually because they're affected by them less but because of the way that a lot of women are raised a lot of the things around stuff like imaginative play build coping mechanisms of the ability to learn to observe and mimic social interactions and a lot of the play that they're encouraged to take part in is mimicry of social situations and as such it's generally thought of as a condition that affects men it's Mm. a condition that's usually portrayed in media as affecting men as a result and to not only have like representation of women with autistic spectrum conditions but multiple women with autistic spectrum conditions who vary in their their specific issues on the spectrum is really rare for any piece of media let alone a video game and i think that it can't be stated enough quite how well they handled that aspect to the moon absolutely and and this is this thing about you know representation is really really important and going back to that thing i keep saying over and over again about how if you if you're going to have women in your movie have at least two ideally Mm. three or more so we can see that they behave in different ways it's it's nice like it's why i love something like brooklyn 99 where anytime there is a a minority group represented in that show they have more than one person represent that minority so that one character doesn't have to speak for an entire demographic or condition Absolutely. And you avoid Walking Dead's awkward one-in-one-out policy. Oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. Too. It's yeah. ridiculous. But no, if, if you have multiple characters with a condition, you don't get into the issue where, like, had River been the only autistic spectrum character in this, there would have been very valid criticisms to make of this is a very one-sided, um, yeah. perhaps yeah. exaggerated portrayal of autistic mm. spectrum conditions. But you have Isabel on the other side where it's like, okay, they can also manifest in this way, and that's not necessarily easier or harder to live with, but it's different it's different. to live with. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that idea that it's it's often missed or misdiagnosed um, when it's something that's experienced by women, mm. um, they, they even they reference that. I think one of the characters, possibly Nicholas, says, I thought only men had that. Mm. Yeah. Um, and um, so it's, it's, it's brief, but it's there. And, and that was something that I thought was quite, um, quite important as well. And it's, it's not unusual with, with some conditions, um, borderline personality disorder as well, or mm. it's, I believe it's being renamed uh, emotional instability disorder at the moment 
is something which is often considered to be a girl's thing mm. because it doesn't get diagnosed as much when uh, men are experiencing it because a lot of the ways it manifests in uh, in anger, in impulsivity, they are things which people think of as normal for boys. Mm. So they, it doesn't occur to anybody that there's a problem there or, or to investigate why they might be acting those things out and so it never gets identified. Yeah, there's... <sighs> Sorry, I'm trying to work out how to put this sentence together. Um, they also touch on the fact that one of the women is diagnosed a lot later in her life than the other, which again plays into this things being missed at stages they should have been caught at because of the fact that these diagnostic criteria are overlooked by gender quite often. Mm, yeah. It's, it's, it's a thing I have some personal experience of. Like, I have diaries that my mother kept while I was growing up. Looking back, there's no way it should have taken me till I was, like, 18 to get diagnosed with an autistic spectrum condition. I just wasn't. Mm. It's just sometimes these things slip through the net because whatever factors are going on keep them from being spotted. I knew there was a reason we got you on this one. Hooray! <laughs> and, you, you mean besides her being awesome? Well, I think <laughs> you've given us like 82 different reasons throughout the episode. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. I'm glad Again. I ended it on a good reason to have brought me on. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, it's uh, this one's been really, really nice. So um, mm. well recommended from our, our sponsors. Uh, we hope we gave you... I think, I think they'd have liked this one. Mm. And from the amount of people going, oh yes, as soon as I tweeted about it, the only, only ones who weren't saying, I was crying so much, were saying, I love that game. So um, only a few people were like, what's that game? And one's per- and play it and then you'll know. And one person thought that I was talking about Jackie Gleason, to which I responded, no, uh, that guy was just using space travel as a metaphor for beating his wife. <laughs> um, it's been quite emotional to revisit it, but I feel like... Um, it's it's good that we get to talk about this with you guys because uh, in the same way that I want this adapted at some point and I hope that uh, Gal's had offers um, you know uh, if not it'll be you know one of it the best in its class of small RPGs mm-hmm. um, but I'm a, I'm an email liker and say so you might want to look at this <laughs> <laughs> dear liker. <laughs> Would you like to look at acquiring the rights to this? We promise it's good. Listen like to this to podcast where we explain why. Four years of your life to adapting this video game that some people have played. Yes, a small selection of the population will love you for it. <laughs> and others will criticise you horrendously. Enjoy! Enjoy. I don't know, it could end up being like an award-winning film that... You know that people like you could actually make this relatively inexpensively with the right like consultation with the enough people on the spectrum to make sure that it comes across as you know we have positioned River to be like this because this is how she is in the game. Is there any advice you guys could give us to sort of like you know not just from one person but from lots to sort of get an idea of the, the feeling of that and make sure that's in your supplemental materials. If Leica want to bring on. Um consultants just hit me up it's fine my my email's in my twitter bio 
Lowercase bars, wherever she you find. She is available. Her hourly rate is. is <laughs> okay, so uh, where where else could people find stuff that's to do with Laura K. Buzz? Uh, you can find me pretty much everywhere on the internet at Laura K. Buzz. If there's a service, I'm probably Laura K. Buzz on it. Laura K. Buzz on Twitter, YouTube, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Let's play video games.com is where I do a lot of my video game writing. I pop up in a lot of other places on the internet, but that's the big ones. And fans of Laura, if you haven't heard our Stranger Things episodes, which she was on, she was on them. So you should probably go and listen to them. They're only a couple of weeks ago on the feed. So uh, enjoy. Um, and next week... Uh, I'll, I will do it next week. I don't even know what it's going to be. <laughs> uh, next week, we will be mostly sleeping. Yes. <laughs> we are uh, relaxing this thing off. Actually, next week, we're going back to the 80s with more mind-bending, time-traveling sci-fi drama with Donnie Darko. And I've just started a New Century website. Come along to newcenturymultiverse.com and find out more about these books and audio dramas that I've been producing since 2013. Newcomers can get a much better overview, long-time fans can dig deeper, and you can sign up to the mailing list to get regular updates, as well as looking through galleries of the amazing artwork by Antonio Torresen. So that's newcenturymultiverse.com. Some folks have been asking me where our older episodes have gone, and they will be very happy to know that we have not one, but two additional podcast feeds, the School of Movies Archive and the School of Everything Else Archive, where you can find all of our shows in release order. So subscribe to them on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. And a huge thank you to our special sponsors at the $15 level this month. So that's Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Timothy Green, David Garcia Abril, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisham. You guys are generous, loyal, and unfailingly kind. Right, okay. So, um, thank you very, very much, Laura, for coming on. Yes, thank you. It's been great having you on again. Yeah. Thank you, as ever, for having me. It's always a delight. <laughs> Especially okay. on a day you actually, you know, reeling from a roller disco injury. Um, <laughs> I hope we took your mind off your leg. <laughs> it's fine. It's been a nice distraction to just like not be thinking about the fact that my leg's throbbing. <laughs> oh God! Sorry for bringing it up again. Oh, um, all right. <laughs> but you have LA story to watch. That's that's great. Yeah. While I'm and, resting my leg, I now have media to consume. Yeah. And it's got Steve Martin. Um, roller skating around the uh, LA Portrait Gallery uh, in definite leg-breaking scenarios. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you can watch that and envy him. Um, okay, but no, it's it's a, it's a lovely film, as is same time next... Same time next year? Yeah. Okay. Right, so, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's okay. Out.
searching for an answer when this world is no When this world is no more